Hello, this is Jim Wallace, and you're listening to The Soul of the Nation, a podcast about how our faith should shape our politics and not the other way around. This week on Soul of the Nation, we are bringing you something a little different. It's a public conversation I had recently with former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi about the role her Catholic faith plays in her public and personal life. The conversation was part of a new series called Higher Calling that we just launched at the Center on Faith and Justice at Georgetown University. During this conversation, Nancy Pelosi opens up about the Catholic values she learned growing up in Baltimore and how she deals with relentless political attacks and the Bible verse that inspired her to move, as she says, from the kitchen to the Congress, from housewife to house speaker. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So let's just begin. I'll say I believe in the separation of church and state, but not the segregation of moral values Mm -hmm. from public life. And that's what we're doing here today. So you were raised uh, not far from here in Baltimore, and your dad was the mayor. You're raised in a Catholic home and family. And you said that your parents did not raise you to become the Speaker of the House, the most powerful woman ever in American politics. But as you say, to be holy, to be good. To be holy, to be good. I like that. How did they do that? And, and, and tell us what, what you learned about Catholic faith growing up in that home. So how much time do we have? <laughs> You're going way back. Uh, thank you, Jim, for your question. Thank you, Mr. President, for your kind words and for your great leadership of this magnificent institution. All of you have to know that being Riggs Library is a special privilege. Uh, I've had the honor of being here when my husband was chairman of the board of the Foreign Service School, now emeritus, and uh, we hear from about our values and our national uh, our, our role in the world. And it was always a special occasion to be in the Riggs Library. Thank you for that opportunity today. And hopefully we'll live up to the uh, expectation of faith, the Gospel of Matthew. And, uh, and congratulations to you. You are, he's so remarkable, has been an intellectual, spiritual resource to so many of us in the public arena for a very long time. So I have some questions for you, too. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprised. About Cronus and all, you know? So, yes, I was raised in a Catholic family, and when I said what I said about how my parents raised when I was nominated to be speaker the first time, I went up to the podium and the uh, Rahm Emanuel, now the ambassador to Japan, but then the chair of our caucus said, hugged me and said, your parents would be so proud. And it really took me aback. And I thought, they didn't raise me to be speaker. I don't even know about this. They raised me to be holy. And that's how that came to be. But it, uh, again, we, he was born in Baltimore, Maryland, Little Italy in Baltimore. Um, Devoutly Catholic, proud of our Italian-American heritage, fiercely patriotic, and in our case, staunchly democratic. <laughs> we saw a connection between our public responsibility and our faith, agreeing with you, Reverend Wallace, that it is a separation of power, but not a spe- separation of responsibility. And so um, it was always about helping other people. 
that we had that responsibility as a matter of our faith. Mm -hmm. Some of us would do that in a political role. I never intended to do so. But we are always, 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 um, I don't say told, just by example, knowing that you had to treat people with great respect, with great respect. We're all God's children, and whatever our differences are, we have to be treated with respect, and that, that there's that spark of divinity in every person. John Lewis talked about that all the time. You talked mm -hmm. about Sewell and Warnick, and that's who they are as well. A spark of divinity in every person. We truly believed, now some of this is, comes later, but we truly believed then that um, when Christ came down from heaven, his participation in our humanity enabled us to participate in his divinity. Hence that spark of divinity. So we must treat everyone, whether it's a, a, an immigrant at the border or a homeless person on the street or the president of the university, but also to recognize we had that spark and that had responsibilities that went with it. Now later, only in recent years, I was told about a Jewish, is there a Jewish theologian? Is that a proper mm -hmm. thinker? Yeah. I mean, yeah. who uh, said that because of that spark of divinity, Every one of us, when we come forward, when you leave here, there are like 10,000 angels escorting you because you have that spark of divinity. Well, I don't know, we have to make room for that. And sometimes it's hard to see it with some people, but nonetheless, <laughs> that's what we believe. So that spark of divinity uh, also is in scripture is all us being created the image of God, that's which right. uh, God. Reverend, Warnock talks about as well. Yeah. I learned your mother wanted you to be a nun, yeah. uh, but you're more than being a priest. <laughs> but either way, you got a Catholic education. Yeah. And how did your experience in that Catholic education help shape your moral education? And how did it teach you to be a leader who, as some say, would stand up and speak out? Well, uh, let me just say, uh, in terms of a uh, uh, the Catholic education. I was just writing um, an op-ed for the Catholic Reporter about Pope Francis and his 10-year anniversary as Pope, and I had the privilege of being there. It was the Feast of St. Joseph just a couple of days ago. They were recording when he was elected. I was talking about when he was, had the installation a few, few days apart. He chose the Feast of St. Joseph, which is a beautiful thing. St. Joseph, a protector. And that's what I see him as. But the, um, and so in the article I write, because I had to bring it up to date, and Annalisa knows it, Annalisa knows, uh, over 150 years of Catholic education, not in my family I grew up in, yes, it would even be much, much more, five older brothers, but in Paul, my husband, who went to Georgetown, our five children, our um, uh, grandchildren, I'm not even counting my sons-in-law. I mean, I'm just calling about our immediately, our immediate uh, family. Over 150, and the number continues to mm -hmm. grow. And that's their choice. That is, they have chosen where they wanted to go to school. And I think they saw uh, the value of that, um, that when they have so many choices, but that's what they chose. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is, um, and we're excited about that because of the values that are there, but also because the Catholic education is Catholic with a capital C and a, cap a small c, 
universal and and um, beautiful in that respect. The um, you know the Gospel of Matthew is just such a guide. You know, did you want to say something about? Well, that? in fact, I would we'd be in meetings, political meetings about <laughs> issues, and she would bring up this text in Matthew. In the middle of a political meeting, she'd say, "Well, Matthew 25 <laughs> reminds us." that how we treat the least of these is how we treat Christ himself. So here's this, the Speaker of the House raising the Matthew text in the middle of political meetings up on the Hill. Why is that text so important to you, and why do you keep raising it, particularly over there on the Hill? Well, remember, Christ and Lord did not just say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was homeless, you sheltered me. When I was in prison, you visited me. I love that one because... It broadens our responsibility. He also said, when I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was homeless, you did not shelter me. So I think that other part of it is really important. It is. Two, Christ, when did I ignore you? Well, both sides of, of that coin, mm -hmm. very important. And many people are uh, ostensibly, in my respect that they are, people of faith, but when it comes to the execution of it from the standpoint of our responsibilities, we have to sometimes remind, uh, remind people. And as you know well, the least of these are often the least important on Capitol Hill. You know, I've always had a problem. With that phrase? Least. Yeah. Because I don't consider them least. Right. They mm -hmm. have a spark of divinity. They're all God's children. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking there must be something about the translation that is calling <laughs> them least. It, that's that's my thing about that. Just share that with you. But should we call them the? Well, it's really about most needy or something like that. It's really the most poor and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That's you know, it's that text. I call that the "It was me" text. I was hungry. It was me. I was thirsty. It okay, was me. I like that. Okay. So it's the "It was me" text, and it's really the poorest, most vulnerable. And the scriptures say that that legislators and kings and rulers and princes will be judged not on their gross national product or their military firepower or their cultural dominance, but how they treat the poorest and most vulnerable. And you raise that again and again. In terms of my being a nun, um, <laughs> <laughs> and they said I want to be a priest. Imagine the priest every day. They have the power of the, the miracle of mystery. I don't know if it's mm -hmm. called a mystery, but mm -hmm. of transubstantiation of turning bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. That is real power. Now we're talking power. And that's why I was more attracted to that than being a nun. On the other hand, maybe one day women will be able to do that as, as well. Mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. that's something I'm thinking about. I was hoping the Pope would too, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Something we should think about a lot more. <laughs> now, I love, um, I love uh, how you, you describe um, your job, uh, that you don a suit of armor. Oh, yeah. I'm reading this now. Put on your brass knuckles, eat nails for breakfast, go out there and stop them from taking food out of the mouths of babies. So when and during Babies the day, out of the arms of their mothers. You know, it right. goes on. <laughs> so when during the day do you feed that, um, that spiritual life? And do you pray the rosary before or after you put on your breast knuckles? <laughs> I actually uh, 
mostly at night, but during the night if I awaken, I, I feel the call to, to pray. Uh, and um, um, mostly at night, but in the morning too. I, I believe in prayer, I really do. And again, after time goes by, you'll find that, uh, well, faith, prayer, faith. Faith is such a gift. Not everybody has it. We have to recognize that. Because when some people say to me, well, how come you believe this? Oh, it's a gift of faith. You don't have it. I do. Okay. But the, um, it's such a gift. And you talk about uh, Terry Sewell and, and um, Senator Warnock and I talked about John Lewis. I do believe that faith is what got people through the civil rights, mm-hmm. uh, the, the tr- leading up to it. And of course, in that fight, faith is um, a gift, again, a gift of God. And it, is, it gives people hope. And when people ask me, where is hope? Why should we be hopeful? I said, hope is where it has always been, sitting comfortably between faith and charity. People have faith in the goodness of others. That gives them hope. So faith, though, is key to to all of it. Mm -hmm. And so prayer, of course. And we've been praying a lot, of course, for my husband uh, yeah. lately. He's been, and thank you, Georgetown, for having the prayer service for him. But he's been the beneficiary of so many prayers, and I, and I like to see that people are motivated to, to pray. You raised your husband, Paul. You met here, and we've all been, as you know, praying for him. But this was a senseless attack yeah. on your husband and your family. And, uh, but it's part of a wave of violence, a wave of violence and threats against political leaders at every level. So there probably are students here today considering public service as a vocation for them, as it has been for you. But maybe they're put off by that, that terrible polarization and even the violent threats. So what would you have to say to students here who are discerning their vocation of public service, and maybe are a little, little, little concerned or frightened even by the, by the hate and the violence. Well, even before this, shall we say, last six years ago, the horrible thing that happened to our country at that time, which I won't go into politics here, but the, I, when I came to Congress to over 35 years ago, as Mr. President said, there were like 23 women in Congress, 12 Democrats and 11 Republicans. 435 people. Even if there were just 23 in this room out of this bigger crowd, that would be not the right number. Okay. So I made a decision right then and there, forget about this. We've got to make a change. We now have about 95, 96 Democrats. They have maybe 30 or something Republicans. They're making progress, and that's good. But um, when I would go to women and say, you should run, and I'm saying it to you here, you should run. Nothing is more wholesome in the political process and government or anything, edu- academic world, corporate America, the, uh, um, military, our security and anything, than the fuller participation of women in leadership and just their participation. And I would expand that to say diversity writ large, not just women, but uh, younger people, people of color, all the rest of that. So when I would go to these women, they'd say, I could never subject my family Mm. to what you go through. I'm not talking about somebody coming to my house and saying, where's Nancy, and making a deadly assault on my husband. That that 
is in a different category. I'm just talking about negative ads on TV that don't, what they do with women is they would, they would go to, they know that women have, forgive me gentlemen, a strong reputation for integrity. So they attack you right on integrity. They'll say, she said this or this or that. Won't even be true, but that's what they'll say. And then the other thing they'll say is, it's about children. She wants to spend a fortune. And by the way, these children are all immigrants. I mean, mm -hmm. isn't that disgusting? But that's mm -hmm. how they, and I can show you stacks of mailers and ads that they do, attack the integrity and the compassion that women have. But it doesn't mean that you are not sensitive to fiscal responsibility, but that's how they would frame it. And so people said, I walk down the street and my neighbor whom I know crosses the street not to encounter me. My children come home from school crying because somebody repeated an ad they saw on TV. That's, that's not part of a democracy. Mm -hmm. So again, if we could lower the uh, role of money, increase the level of civility, we would have many more women and all the rest there. Now, I'm very proud of the number that we have. It takes courage. So if you're thinking about this, think hard, because again, nothing is more wholesome than that. And each one of you, I talked about the spark of divinity, but every one of you, and I say this to the young men who are in here too, the students and teachers, whatever, um, in the history of the world, there has never been anybody like you. You are the authentic, sincere you. And that is incredibly valuable. Because it, it isn't a question of women are better than men, so we should have them at the table. The diversity at the table is the strength. I say to the members, our diversity is our strength. Our unity is our power. The unity has to come from discussion, springing from that inclusiveness and diversity. And our president is very much committed to this. So I would say to the women, um, don't let them don't let them, whoever they are, um, be daunting to you. You have something very valuable to contribute that is very necessary. And we always say, when women succeed, America succeeds, but you can apply that uh, to any country, any culture, any society in the world. So I'm always encouraging women, but it's not for the faint of heart. Since you talked about the nails for breakfast, I'll go to another place. Um, President um, Teddy Roosevelt, Republican, I'm quoting a Republican. He said, <laughs> he, he talked about the arena. You know his speech about the arena. If you don't, you should read that. It's a most amazing statement. But he talks about you're not a spectator. <laughs> now you're in the arena. So I say to these members, when you think you're going to run for office, know your why. Why are you doing this? Because that justifies all the pain mm -hmm. that goes with it. And I say pain, um, isn't pain to me because I consider the source, but you know, the pain that goes with it. So when you're in that arena, you have to be prepared to take a punch. You have to be prepared to throw a punch for the children. <laughs> <laughs> Always for the children. My why is one in five children in America lives in poverty, goes to sleep hungry at night. What? In the greatest country that ever existed in the history of the world? So that's what took me from the kitchen to the Congress, from housewife to house speaker. <laughs> it's, a, it's a powerful thing when you say uh, we need more and new people at the table. Yeah. 
rather than just influencing the table, like we always want to change policy. But who's at the table is so important. Mm -hmm. So that's the question. Is your generation, all of you, in the wholeness and fullness of who you are going to be at the table where decisions are being made for policy? And we want you at the head of the table. <laughs> yeah. So, um, right, Jen. Moral, moral education. You've talked about Catholic education, moral education. So, so sometimes uh, many people of faith, many of us, and politicians, sometimes disagree, don't always agree with the leaders of our church on every matter of public policy. But when those complex issues are raised, you often cite conscience. Conscience. Yeah. The conscience is what uh, determines who and what you will support yeah. and in these complex moral issues. So what goes into the formation of Nancy Pelosi's conscience? Well, I, uh, my parents had a big impact on us, especially my mother, uh, in terms of we have a free will. God has given us a free will, and we have a moral responsibility to live up to that response, uh, uh, that free will and what it gives us. So, I mean, I was raised in a family that you would describe probably as pro-life, although I think I'm pro-life because I care about children and the rest. But nonetheless, that was kind of their thing. I mean, they weren't rallying in the streets, but that's who they were, are. And, um, but I would say, Mom, you said this is a matter of free will, and people have a responsibility to live up to their responsibilities. So that's the path I'm on. Uh, and uh, yeah, I have a problem with my archbishop, well, the archbishop of the city that I represent. And, um, but I mean, I figure that's his problem, not mine, because I, I have five children, six years and one week. Uh, three of them went to Georgetown. Uh, the, the, um, so I keep saying to them, my members, you got five kids in six years? You want to talk about this subject, okay? Uh, I, I, I go right to the one issue because everything else we're pretty much in sync when it talks about the social uh, compact of the Catholic bishops and the rest. But they are willing to abandon the bulk of it because of one thing, and that's the fight that we have. Mm -hmm. Today is the 13th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act. It's something I'm very, very, very proud of. But all I can say about how we passed that is, thank God for the nuns. Thank God <laughs> for the nuns. That's because true. they offset the bishops. The bishops were just mischaracterizing what was in there. They know I say this all the time. So, um, mischaracterizing what was in there. And their purpose was to destroy Roe v. Wade right in that bill. Of course, we weren't going to let that happen. But thank God for the nuns. Because some of our members wrote the Hyde Amendment. They wrote the Hyde Amendment. You know, the Hyde Amendment says that there can't be any funds uh, for terminating a, a, a pregnancy unless it's the life of the mother, you know, rape, incest, life of the mother. That was written by our staunch pro-life members. God bless them. Some had been in the seminary. Some were not Catholic, but, and I respect their view for them, for them and their family. But I didn't think that that should be dictated to the rest of the world. But in any event, those members 
voted for the bill because they said we wrote we wrote this it's not in this it's not contradicted in this legislation but the bishops were trying to sell the point oh you got me started on the bishop uh, the, the bishops were trying to make the point that that um it was and in taking down it they would take down the bill forgetting the co social compact and when i was sick you tend to my knees and uh, so, again, because we had the nuns, then it was able, we were able to prevail. So when that happened, just because it's the day, President, Senator Kennedy was very much a part of all of this, and then he died. And then his seat was not won by the Democrats or anybody who would be supportive of the Affordable Care Act, having nothing to do with women's right to choose, but having to do with the insurance companies and people, anti-governance people, anti-science people, you know. So the press said to me, how, um, I consider this an article of faith ministering to the needs of the sick. So mm -hmm. if you consider this a digression, I've, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. The, uh, say, the press said, oh, it's over for you because you have lost this seat in Massachusetts. I said, well, we are, we are not walking away from this. This is a challenge, a hundred years, presidents have tried to expand access to quality, affordable health care. President Roosevelt tried to do it, even Republican, our good friend Teddy Roosevelt, and the rest of that. In any event, the, um, they said, well, how are we gonna do this? I said, well, this is getting back to the nuns. Well, um, we're not gonna let anything stand in our way. We're gonna make this done. This is our generational responsibility. So, if there's a, a fence that is blocking our way, we'll push open the gate. If that doesn't work, we'll climb the fence. If that doesn't work, we'll pole vault in. If that doesn't work, we'll parachute in. But we are not letting anything stand in the way of our passing this. People are saying shrink it and blah, blah, blah. So after we passed it, when they were saying this is impossible, after we passed it, they said, which one did you do? I said, we just pushed open the gate because not only were our members courageous in voting for this, but we had the outside. And remember this, our inside maneuvering can only go so far in the political system. The outside mobilization, mm -hmm. the message to the public is what is so important. So when we pushed open that gate, the nuns were right there with us pushing open the gate. In fact, you should, students, take a look at the Affordable Care Act and how Catholic women religious were central, central. key factor in passing because they thought the Affordable Care Act was pro-life. That's right. Look at, it is. Look at, in Catholic social te teaching, what the consistent ethic of life is in that, which is not just focus on one issue, but that's the broader Catholic teaching that I would encourage you to take a look at. So I remember we had, as President DeJoy said, we have seminarians come every summer from all over the country, and you came to, to speak to our seminarians. In fact, you wanted to be the first speaker to speak to them. Here's these seminarians, and here's Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, and she starts talking to them about the incarnation. <laughs> the incarnation. I didn't expect that. Incarnation. That was an amazing cover. You went through the incarnation and how it shapes your politics. And then some of them asked this. This is my question to you here. Um, they said, why don't Democrats speak more and talk more about their faith? They said, when Republicans do all the time, it makes people think that 
Republicans are the Christians and Democrats are reluctant. Chris Coons was there and Raphael Warnock. And they asked, my seminarians asked, why can't Democrats feel more, more free, more, more willing, uh, not to proselytize, but to speak yeah. about how their faith shapes their politics? So how do you answer that question? How can we get Democrats to do more of what you did that day? Well, I think that, I mean, I see them regularly, in fact, this morning in caucus. They, um, how can I say this without causing a stir? I always like to say, if we're going to pray in church on Sunday, or whatever day of the week, mm -hmm. let us avoid praying on people with an E the rest of the week, which some of these, shall we say, mm -hmm. Yes, those people. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's what they do. They, they talk about their faith and this or that. But then when we talk about feeding and sheltering and clothing and respecting and the rest of that. Matthew boom, 25. Forget about that. So, it, it, but yeah, I, I do think that people do in their own districts and their own conversations. Um, I think there's a reluctance to say use polit politics as a. I mean, I talk about it because that's who I am, you know. Yeah. But and and that's who they are too. We have one or two who are, maybe three that are humanist. So they, and they do some of the best work for the poor, mm -hmm. but they they pronounce that. You know, we shouldn't have a prayer at the beginning of session and all the rest of that. But it, no, I, I, I guess it's a good message. Talk more about your faith. Talk more about the flag. You know, but again, it's, it's, um, that's who we are. And we should be more sincerely convincing to the public uh, that we share those, yep. we share those values. Yep. I have a question for you. So Center on Faith and Justice. This is the word. Faith, as we talked about earlier. Justice. Justice. Pope Paul VI, if you want peace, work for justice. This is the important word because this is the word of respect for people. Whether we're talking about social justice, environmental justice, uh, justice in the courts, justice in the world, justice. And I just left, um, after our caucus, I visited with a woman, Svetlana. Svetlana is the presidential candidate in, in um, Belarus. Her husband is imprisoned. He was the candidate. She then became the candidate. He's still imprisoned. She's uh, in Lithuania. And we had this um, session this morning about someone named Kalinowski, who 160 years ago, at age 25, was speaking out for justice and peace and democracy in Belarus. They killed him at 26. But his message was always to work for peace and justice and democracy. And that's what she's doing, a young woman, mm -hmm. a heroine, really. But the justice word is something that means a great deal to President Biden in his Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Justice in terms of how we meet the needs of people, justice in listening to how they want their needs, whereas having at the table, whether we're talking about infrastructure or chips or whatever it happens to be, where is the justice in the legislation that enables everyone to participate? So congratulations to Georgetown and to you for your being the head of the Center for Faith and Justice. That's 
wonderful. Could you talk to them about what you used to teach us about Kronos, the time, the time? Kairos and Kronos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, faith and justice are inseparable, and the word righteousness in the Bible, when you see that, it means justice. So it's just inseparable. Uh, Kairos time is, uh, Kronos time is just tick-tock, tick-tock, normal time, day by day, keeping our schedules. Kairos time is moments uh, when, when the change, time, and even history, particular moments, Kairos, that really are going to change us. And I think we're in one of those I times so. right now where uh, democracy, as you and I both believe, are, is literally at stake, uh, and where the integrity of faith is at stake. Because of those people who do this, who privatize faith, to privatize faith is a heresy. That's the American, that's the white Christian heresy, privatize faith. Uh, but taking faith public is what you've done your whole, whole life. Mm -hmm. So we're at a moment when democracy is being tested like no other time in my lifetime. And we've been, we've been around for a while, the two of us. And, and the integrity of faith. And a third thing that's at stake is you, this new generation. Because if the churches, if faith doesn't come down on the side of multiracial democracy, then a lot of young people will never darken the door of a church. They won't go anymore. If we don't come down on the right side of history in terms of making sure there's a path to fulfill, fulfilling the promise of our democracy, a new generation won't want to come anymore. So to me, that's a stake, democracy and faith and a new generation. So once again, say what the word is of the moment, not, not the day by day, but the moment you see us in. Yeah, there, was, uh, there were times in history in South Africa where many of us were involved where it's like the moment at stake here. But that word. Kairos. 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 The word is Kairos. It means the fullness, the fullness, the implication, the meaning of this moment will change more than our clocks. Yeah. Yeah. It'll change more than our clocks. It'll change life and existence and our perspective and where we're going. And so, as the president says, what's at stake is the soul of the nation. That's literally at stake now in this kind of country. And this, this uh, Catholic, this political leader, this woman has, has changed That's politics good. in this country. I want to give them a chance to ask okay, you I would do, but just more Demi questions. Des okay. He mentioned South Africa and your, your yeah. center is uh, Related to Desmond Tutu. Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Right. Oh, he's so wonderful. Yeah. He was so wonderful. Um, you know, I don't want you to think that our colleagues on the other side of the aisle, I work very close with them on human rights mm -hmm. around the world, yeah. have forever in Congress, and especially religious freedom yeah. around the world. Yeah. So that, that is a strong commitment and bonding, a unifying thing for us. Well, uh, we could, I could sit here in this conversation most of the day, and you all would probably stay, but we can't do it. She has other things to get back to. Uh, uh, so you, um, you, you, your future is full of all kinds of things. One thing I hope will be an advisor to the Archbishop Desmond Tutu Center on Faith and Justice. <laughs> but let us thank this wonderful uh, political leader and wonderful person and this wonderful person of faith for this conversation we've had. One, she always says one more thing. But right? no, I'm gonna give you the last word, but I wanna use one word that makes all the difference in all of this, and that is courage. Mm -hmm. I want you to have the confidence 
of the beautiful education you have received and the values that you bring to all of this and how you, uh, uh, President DeJoya is a champion of the idea of we teach the children, we learn from the children. Right. They're our, you are our teachers as well. And, uh, but the courage to do all of this is a really important thing. The courage I saw in Svetlana this morning to be fighting Lukashenko as a jerk who's the president of, I mean, Putin is an evil person. Lukashenko's an evil jerk. I mean, they're both, but anyway. But the courage to make the fight whatever it is and the respect that you have for other people's opinion. That's a very legitimate thing since yeah. the beginning of our country. Our founders had this vision of this great country where people would be respected. They did not reflect all of that in our founding document, the Constitution, but they made it amendable so that we could mm -hmm. always expand freedom, whether it was black men having the right, to, uh, abolition of slavery, black men having the right to vote, then finally women and LGBTQ in the court. But then when Dobbs came, that was a reversal of expanding freedom in our country. So what we always want to do, and this goes back to the first question, is to honor the vision of our founders, the sacrifice of our men and women in uniform for the freedom we have to do what we do, and the aspirations of our children as we listen to all of you as to what you want the future to be. But the courage, and that's what I salute my members for, none of what we have done would get gotten done without the courage of the members. So thank you, you for your courage. You have a quoting just from Mother Teresa that says, God doesn't expect us to be successful, but God does expect us to be faithful. It's on your desk to keep that in mind. So yeah. here is someone who's been very successful, but as you can hear today, it's because she's been faithful. Let's give our great <laughs> thanks. For more Soul of the Nation updates, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow me on Twitter at Jim Wallace if you like. Blessings for the soul of the nation. Thank you all.